I'm ready to play fantasy. I know I turn two in a day, but the lace isn't hot in my veins. I can turn two in every way, so I turn to you two today and smash play. I'm prepared to listen. The X flipping whip got me looking way past the pitches. Statistics all that I know, and I know that who is on first, he can say I'm ready to go. <laughs> I ain't trying to steal second or third. Cause I wanna win first How am I to put all of these numbers to words? I know the terms from A to Z It's like a gift and a curse I know the difference between a splitter and a curve But if I can't put it in the points Man, then what's it worth? I need the truth I need knowledge Found this podcast with all of it But what they call it? Turn two Turn two, Turn two. What it do? Hey everybody, welcome back to the Turn 2 Podcast. Uh, we are back today talking all about Dynasty Baseball. Uh, for those out there, if you have not tried Dynasty, you absolutely have to. It is the most exciting form of fantasy baseball there is. Uh, we will get to every single reason why, but joining me on the show to talk all about it is Mr. Prospect Jesus himself. <laughs> Ralph, welcome to the show, buddy. Hey, what's going on, man? Uh, thanks for having me on, Matt. So uh, the, uh, the, the invitation came out after I put out a poll on Twitter where I said, uh, this was literally aimed at nobody at all. And I just said, hey, did, uh, this is as a host. I wanted to see, does everyone like when there's banter in the beginning of the show? Or does people like when you get straight to the information? Because our show is like, whatever, a mixture of both. We just, we do whatever there is. But someone asked me, so I put it out there. And it would end up being pretty close, like 60-40. Um, but a couple of people kind of took it like I was like taking a direct shot at them. I know the In This League guys uh thought i was shooting it at really? them and then yeah and i'm like i didn't really care because again i do both i have a call i have a football show where we literally talk about nothing but nonsense for like two hours it's called the rabbit hole for a reason uh but yeah i have people from both sides thinking the the people that get right to the point thinking i'm taking a shot at them the people that are bantering thinking i'm taking a shot at them i know gray <laughs> takes a jumps in and he like posts your outstanding numbers for the Razzball <laughs> thing. He's like, some people like banter. I'm like, this was definitely not a shot at you. <laughs> and um, uh, someone asked me, well, what do you mean? It depends on the kind of banter. I'm like, well, if someone's talking about the kind of roast beef sandwich or their trip to the DMV, not knowing that you guys <laughs> did a show talking all about the DMV. So now it definitely <laughs> looked. Two weeks in a row, we had openings about uh, about DMV trouble that each of us had. He had he had like one week, and then the following week, I was like, "Hey, Gray, I also had a DMV story." Um, yeah, no, it was. It, I actually didn't think you were talking about us, but I I mean, at that point, it looked, it looked exactly like I was directly a missile was being shot directly at your show. I'm like, I did not hear that show. I definitely didn't do that so intentionally, funny. but yeah. So I'm like, hey, you know, hey, I haven't had you on the show, so here we are. <laughs> Talking about the DMV, exactly. No, it was uh, it was it was just uh, you know funny circumstances as, as it would happen. I, I didn't I didn't take it that way. I like to mess with people online too. That I think there's times that people think I'm like mad that I'm not actually mad, you know. But it's it's all about delivery, you know. The I, I come it, across the much better. The poll itself actually made it into the opening of several podcasts. I'm told. I haven't listened to any of them, but some people were very upset about it. But hey. It was aimed at no one. It was just a poll. If you took it personally, that's on you guys. Mad online, man. People are mad <laughs> online. What so else? anyway, D Dynasty Baseball. Um, is this your favorite form of fantasy baseball? I mean, obviously, redraft. There's a clean slate aspect that's just great. But Dynasty, man, it has that real that real world feel to it where it's like you're actually running a team, like where you're actually making moves. Uh, is, is this your favorite I mean, as a prospect guy, I assume I'm making assumptions out of nowhere that this is mm -hmm. the this is the form that you like. But what kind? Uh, how do you feel about fantasy or dynasty versus redraft? 
I'm probably a more successful redraft player, actually. Like just in terms of like my record, things that I could brag about. Um, Pat in the back, top five all time, first two years in uh, TGFBI. Amongst those that have played in two years, I think it's only like maybe like half the competition. Maybe there's like 150 or something like that. But uh, I, you know, I, I I do pretty well in uh, redraft leagues in general, 12 to 15 team uh, leagues. So in particularly Roto versus like head to head. Um, I've tried to get into head to head points over the last couple of years, but I'll definitely say that I haven't been terribly successful uh, <laughs> overall. My home leagues like that. And um, here I am, you know, Mr. Big, we, it's like a keep eight. So it's not like deep dynasty or anything, but I'm like, you know, Mr. Big expert. And I'm constantly like getting my butt kicked. I'm not bad. <laughs> I usually like just miss the playoffs or I've made the playoffs a couple of times. I made the finals a couple of years ago. Um, but, uh, and then, and then I, I had that league in tout wars. I had a head to head redraft league. Um, and I made just like some, some bad mistakes, like rookie mistakes early on. I think I'm primed for a better showing this year, but, uh, yeah, you know, head to head, I would say, uh, excuse me, uh, redraft roto is probably my best game. I do enjoy dynasty probably the most. I have the most dynasty leagues. I like to play a bunch of different formats, a bunch of different scorings. I do have some head to head leagues that are categories, head to head points, dynasty leagues, a lot of um, 30 team roto. That's probably like my go-to. I like the really deep minors. Um, I like open universe leagues as well. It's probably my, my, my best. I want a um, industry league called uh, devil's rejects. I'd been there, rebuilt a team, from the ground up, I took over like an absolute like prospect ghost ship and uh, built it up to a bit of a juggernaut. I won that one last year. That's got some big names in it. You know, uh, James Anderson, um, all the guys from like baseball prospectus and like, you know, several other like respected guys um, was able to take that ship down. And that was a big one. And uh, I think my biggest advantage probably in that league is the fact that it's open universe. And I'm so into sort of a, the draft and particularly college baseball um, so I'm usually hammering guys that I'm watching down the Cape and grabbing them early or sort of keeping a, a watchful eye um, going into the offseason draft. Where we can grab some of those guys. Um, so I always feel pretty, pretty confident. And I always feel like once you have a good team and you're competing um, in Dynasty, you just draft and trade from such a position of strength mm -hmm. um, because you can take shots on different types of prospects. You, you can maybe you know, not invest as much capital, whether it be in fab or wires or even trades. And you can sort of get some under the radar, um, underrated prospects and gamble a little bit and gamble a little bit on upside. You can also gamble on um, proximity. And uh, I like to also always draft. And I think this kind of ties into our TGFBI strategy. I don't know what your KDS was, but I know we ended up with the same pick. I like to sit there in the back of the draft and see what falls, you know, and kind of get that value and play off of that. It also allows you when you're on a turn like that or late as you can jump on something before other people do as well. I just think from a strategy standpoint, it works a lot better. And I try to apply it to both. So I guess, I guess long story short, I really like both games for what they are. Um, but the prospect element and sometimes the open universe element of um, dynasty baseball really makes it to, you know, an added sort of thing for me that, uh, you know, I can I can get out there and, and utilize um, some of the firsthand knowledge and experience I gained from going to so many games over the offseason and just yeah. on a prospect site. <laughs> I yeah, yeah, definitely. Right. Uh, I, I love I think the purest form of fantasy baseball is Dynasty Roto in terms of that mirrors the actual game itself the most. Uh, I'm with you. I like Roto more in head to head. I play both, obviously. Uh, points, like I said, it's definitely my least favorite because it seems like 
especially like head to head formats where you have to like change like two star pitching and you have to actually like view who you're going up against. It just, it adds a weird, like, you know, head to head football thing that necessarily doesn't tie into baseball as much. I like, I like all of them, but yeah, I like Roto more, especially dynasty Roto for all the, the reasons you kind of said, uh, I'm, I am with you with drafting in the back also. Um, my KDS, uh, you know, said I, I ended up at 15 in TGFBI. I had the 13th selection, but 15 was my fourth, my fourth in my KDS uh, priorities. So I, you know, apparently no one wanted the 15. I was actually happy to get it. I think I had like, I don't know, one, two, three or three, two, one. And then, uh, then 15. (laughs) Yeah. I think I had um, two, one, three, four, five, six, 15. Is that what I think I set it up? All right, the two. Let's talk about that for a second. There's obviously a uh, of the top three. You obviously prefer two much higher than the third. So who is who are who's the third you don't like as much? No, I could I could probably even take three. I just wanted to mess with it and hope I got the second pick by putting it first. <laughs> just, just go off the line. I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, yeah. No, play. no. I've I've already drafted. I've already ended up with um. If he honest with you, the top three in the draft for me, give me one of them. Yeah, like, that's matter. kind of my approach with it. Um, yeah. I take Acuna one, um, whether it was redraft or dynasty. I think I'd do that. Two, I think I would still go with Mike Trout just because all these years I never get the first pick and I just want to own Trout for a it's, season. It's fun to own maybe, Trout. Yeah. Maybe I get 150 games. Like maybe it would be that year where like it was just, you know, the greatest year ever, right? Um, and then, you know, uh, Kristen Yelich, um, at three, two, I think it's fine. I got him in a, uh, in actually Ray Butler did uh, some dynasty leagues this off season, 20 team leagues over on uh, fan tracks. And um, I had the third pick in that one. It was a different sort of uh, Vickery system, like a KDS where you had to put up actual first year keepers. Um, yeah. So you sacrifice some of the keepers for the pick and we sacrificed, it was Matt Thompson and I co the team, another colleague over and co-owner at Prospects Live. Um, and we went with, uh, with Yelich at, uh, at three and I was happy to get him. It was one of those things where it's like, no matter what you get in these first three picks, you're getting a superstar juggernaut sort of player. And maybe three is a little bit better because you could get <laughs> the second pick a little bit earlier. Um, but I almost, I, I like that back-to-back pick. Like I like that yes. swing pick because it's like, I don't have to make as many decisions. I'm indecisive. You yeah, know, we like, get value will fall to you or you can turn the draft on its head and mess with people by setting, like maybe yeah. going, yeah. Going, going completely nuts. Two players, exactly. You know. So, um, going back. So, Dynasty. It, it's it's such a good format. If, if 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 anyone hasn't tried it, it's basically like I always say. The reason I started fantasy baseball when I was younger uh, is to uh, kind of have something to bond with my dad over because we both love the Mets and we talk about it all that at a time. But you, when you we play fantasy baseball, you're kind of forced to in depth take a look at every single player in the entire league, you know, obviously mixed leagues um, and dynasty. It's so much more involved because now you, you really get a chance to really, if you want to and take it seriously, you can learn player development and you can really get in and like, you know, it kind of forces you. I mean, obviously you own a prospect site. You're going to do it regardless before maybe more casual people out there. If you love baseball, it's just the best because I mean, even if you're out of it, there's still kind of a, uh, more of an integrity to the standings in the league, because even if you're out of it, you're still building towards the future. You're not like, there's no one really punting as far as they don't care about setting a lineup or anything. You're always looking to win and to get better. Um, whether that, you know, means you have a legitimate chance to win or not, you know, there's a lot of different management styles of how to do that, but it's a, you know, you, you, you have a long-term vision of how you can build your team. So let's talk about that from a startup standpoint. You're in a startup league. 
how do you like to balance how you go as far as winning immediately? Like maybe coming out of the gate year one, trying to win and like starting to take those prospects you like early. We had a question uh, on Twitter, uh, you know, cause I put out that we were going to have you on the show and someone was asking, where do you kind of like pull the lid off where you start taking those early prospects? Because I know for me, I'm very impatient as far as any dynasty format where I am always going for it. I obviously know you're obviously going to be putting a little more uh, emphasis and weight on youth and being able to uh, have a long-term team. But um, I never kind of take a step back and, uh, and, um, and kind of go for the future. I, I, I like to build a balanced team and always kind of go for it. So again, long-winded build up to a very simple question, <laughs> Ralph. If you're in a startup league, uh, how do you, yeah, how do you weigh going forward immediately versus uh, versus going for a deep prospect system going for future? Yeah, I think I think you can, you know, um, look at it sort of three ways where you can go, you know, win now, which I think more more often than not is probably the right strategy, but it depends who you get. Um, and, you know, certainly you can take the opposite strategy and just go really prospect heavy, really young, sort of punt the first year or two. There's a lot of guys that do that, um, you know, if your league allows it. Um and you can get a ton of value that way. And you can really build sort of a, an insane roster uh, if you do it correctly, but it's tough to do. And then I think you could sort of play the value game where, you know, you have an eye toward win now, but maybe if the right value for the right prospect is there and you sort of base it off of the guy and say, all right, I'm going to grab a couple of young players here or there, um, you know, because I think the value's right and this guy might be up within – the first few months or you know it's only a year i'm going to wait and a guy like this would be an excellent trade piece i could see him ascending value um so i think a lot of it is assessed on an individual player level like wander franco for me is an easy top 20 pick in a startup dynasty league you know regardless of what your your team format because even if you have wander and you took him first and you drafted major league players for the next 16 picks like doesn't negate what the value is of franco whether you decide to hold on to him or trade them. And, you know, it's like the same if you had grabbed a guy like Acuna a year earlier, and then you see how quickly a guy like that turns around Soto, even Peter Alonzo. I mean, there's, there's all these different players that, you know, sort of fit that format, you know, a guy like maybe, you know, Gavin Lux kind of fits into that a little bit this year or Louis Robert. Um, and I think, you know, skill wise, probably Joe Adele um, is a guy you could consider on that plane. Adley Rutschman, um, you know, Julio Rodriguez, uh, and then, uh, you know, I probably Jarek uh, Kalenic is another one I would consider there. Uh, Carter Keyboom, um, Dylan Carlson. We don't talk about um, Jarek Kalenic yeah. on a, on the show with the guy wearing the Mets hat. We don't talk about Jarek Kalenic. <laughs> it's not your fault, man. It's not your fault. <laughs> show, him, show him where Brody, where Brody hurt you. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I think it depends. Like, you know, I think it's, it's tough if you wanted to take, like, in the first 100 picks, like a guy like Marco Luciano. I can see the value there, um, but... It's also like how much value are, are you going to get ultimately? Because this guy has to be like a top 100 player within like a few years, you know? Yeah. And if you got to well, sit on that for two or three years, then for me, it kind of negates it a little bit. I think you did. So like, I, I think long story short, it, you just got to look at it from player to player, what you value and sort of what you feel you can get later on. Um, let's give, yeah, let's I mean, give the listeners cool. some context because you brought up Wander Franco, who's obviously the cream of the crop as far as anyone you want to build, and he's not in the majors right yet. Uh, if you were in a dynasty startup, I know this is personal preference and everyone 
um, values people differently. But who would you personally rather have in a startup, uh, Wander Franco or Xander Bogarts? Um, I take Franco. Okay, I think that gives a, a good idea to anyone who hasn't played Dynasty before. A pretty good idea of how early you're talking. I know you already said top twenty, but um, yeah, that gives you a good idea of uh, where you you put people like that. How about a guy like uh, going a, a kind of different uh, direction, Wander Franco, or someone like Bo Bichette, who obviously is not the shortstop prospect that Franco is, but Bichette having proved it at the major league level at, in a semi elite fashion for a short amount. Do uh, you still happy to take Wander in a well in front of a guy like Bichette? Uh, yeah, I have him three spots ahead of Bichette on, um, my read, uh, yeah, my dynasty startup ranks. Um, I have them both around 20. So Wander's a few picks before that and Bo's a few picks after that, but it's a difference of 19 and 22. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, I was just trying to throw out some, um, you know, some a little bit of context for everyone listening. Jared Kalinick's another interesting one. I mean, we will go ahead and talk about him because he's obviously amazing. Everyone's seen the video about him uh, hitting the, uh, you know, the base, uh, hitting the target okay. out of the air with a baseball. Was, I don't know how many times they actually did that. They make it seem like I think they only it did was. It. I think I think they said they did it four times, five times. You're kidding me. I thought it would have been like 60. That is amazing. Yeah. I think it, I think it was like a certain, like yeah, it was a handful somewhere on there. <laughs> uh, here, here's three guys I'll throw out there. Or two guys with Jared Kalenic, as far as how you'd value him going into a dynasty startup. Who would you rather have Kalenic, uh, Ramon Laureano, Charlie Blackman, as far as going with an established kind of star on the way down and uh, a youthful guy with not as high as a ceiling as Kalenic. So I have um, I have Loriano uh, a few picks uh, ahead of him just based on what the value is uh, mm -hmm. at this point, but it's like it, it's like four picks um, in the eighties. Um, Blackman I have like pretty far down. I have him at like one twenty one. Okay. Well, um, yeah, because like when you're talking about dynasty value, um, you really have to think about like even year two three and descending value. Um, he's a guy that, you know, I think is good value if maybe, you know, you got some young picks with like your first, say two or three picks in, in, a, in a dynasty league and he's hanging out there at the beginning of the fourth and maybe even the end of the third. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess I could potentially, I should be more like the end of the fourth, beginning of the fifth, but um, six, but I could see, you know, potentially taking a, a shot at him there. So no, I'm even wrong. It's like the seventh. <laughs> so we're obviously we're talking more like uh, along the lines of a dynasty like keep our true dynasty keep forever kind of thing there's there's tons yeah. of formats out there obviously there's keeper leagues there's contract leagues there's there's leagues where you can only keep a guy for a certain amount of time you keep them at a certain round i mean literally especially when anyone's asking any questions about dynasty online include as much information as possible because it's wild how many settings there are uh, is there any in particular uh settings or rules that you are fond of that you've played maybe a different kind of uh, maybe a different format that a lot of people haven't done, or you just prefer like the straight up, no ridiculousness dynasty keep forever kind of format. Uh, no, I, I like uh, salary cap leagues. I've been mm -hmm. playing in those for a few years. Uh, my longest time dynasty is actually a salary cap league. Um, yeah, I think it's a fun format. I think it adds another, you know, sort of element of real life and uh, it changes trade values and sort of approaches with free agency and, you know, um, draft picks and what the value is there and prospects and what the value is there. Um, so I think it just adds another interesting element. The other uh, format, startup format that I tried this year um, with a bunch of guys I actually play in a 30-team league with, did a 20-team league this way. Um, 
it's a bunch of like like i said my, my longtime friends anyone's been following me for a while it's what uh, we call the crab army they're in a 30 team dynasty league that i'm the commissioner of um, but we tried a different format james anderson actually jumped into the league as well um prospect itch from rasball was in there so you know a few guys that you might potentially read or know about and uh we did separate mlb and milb drafts and we had sort of uh roster rules where you had to start a full lineup um so we didn't have like this back end of people who were just chasing prospects that had tanked out teams you know it was a league where we sort of tried to push it with like some competition in season there's some you know it's a pay league so there's some payouts as well and it was cool because i had the back end i had the 20th pick in the milb in the mlb draft so i had the first pick in the milb draft and i was able to get like wander and then like you know hammer hammer some prospects later on um and it was just cool to be able to separate the two and just really like think mlb team win now and then like some long-term strategy as well obviously there and then how your miners could sort of fit off of that um i thought that was a, a fun way to sort of separate it and it allowed you to have two separate drafts too which we all like drafts <laughs> yeah, oh yeah absolutely um so as far as you're saying i, I love how you you kind of that i love that in the extra setting i guess you put in so you you, you have the extra mlb and MILB where you put an emphasis of having to have a full roster, because like you said, some people tank uh, and they're trying to chase prospects and, and you're trying to rebuild. How much emphasis do you put on like kind of making every single roster spot count? Is this something where if you're going for it, like in a typical redraft league, you can have these weird gadget players on the bench. Um, I tend to try to make every single roster spot as far as either they're going to either they're helping me win or I have them on my bench as far as for trade value or something. Uh, is, is that, how do you kind of balance that? Is it just a, purely dependent on if you're going for it, you don't mind maybe punting value on a bench spot in order for a guy to fill in, like, you know, throw in a David Fletcher who could have like position eligibility of four or five spots, or is that just something where, you know, there's only so many spots in a dynasty league and uh, you kind of make every spot count. Yeah. I think it sort of depends. Like, you know, you have to sort of do some self-evaluation there and say, Hey, you know, my team is either in it or it's not. And, um ultimately you know there has to be a spot here that's either used as a bench spot because maybe it's like everyday lineups or you need another pitcher or you just need some coverage um but i think you know there the strategy in dynasty for me constantly is like you have to and really any format but you really have to worry about at bats and you have to worry about innings and how many you're going to get out of certain guys and, and having uh you know, some backups that can plug in and be really valuable. Um, and it all depends up, upon the depth of the league, you know, um, you know, a 15 team league or, you know, 16, 14, whatever, like Fletcher for me. Yeah. I mean, that's probably a good bench guy to have 12. You're probably going to be a little more shallow uh, or excuse me, a little deeper in terms of what's available on uh, the waiver wire. So, you know, maybe a guy like that's a little bit less valuable because you'll have more upside and you'll be able to sort of, I can't, I, can't, I can't play in shallow dynasty. It makes me want to pull my hair out because there's too many really players available. There's too many players available. I, I don't really, do I don't really either. Most of mine are like 20 to thirties. You know, yeah. I get a lot of 30 team leagues. And of course we did all those with uh prospects live, those, you know, dynasty best balls that we ran, um, which were, you know, sort of interesting because there were 50 rounds, 30 team leagues. Um, and they were open universe. So like, you know, the last few rounds people are drafting, you know, uh, anybody guys, guys that haven't signed yet, you know, uh, college <laughs> players. It was a lot of fun. 
That's awesome. Um, obviously, we talked a lot about, about the actual draft, Dynasty Startup Drafts. Obviously, there's tons of people that are already in established leagues. And then once after the draft, the draft is really not that big of a thing because, in my opinion, trades are probably a bigger deal when it comes to Dynasty, especially because you do everyone has their own player evaluations. How aggressive are you in trades as far as getting the guys you want? Is this something where you're always looking for fair value, like uh, always try to maximize? I mean, obviously, you're always looking to maximize the value of your players, but is this is is dynasty somewhere where you're willing to sacrifice value just to get the players you want as far as like you know maybe prospects you really like um like how much weight would you put on like maybe startup draft versus trading in the actual success of a team yeah i think you know it's it's you know both go it, both parts go into it um i'm i'm like awful with trade i'm not a like i'm not a constant trader like in in dynasty leagues um I definitely try to find value in like, you know, free assets from time to time. Um, but my trade negotiations that happen typically happen pretty quick because the other person's on sort of the right wavelength in terms of what I'm looking for. And, you know, the conversation is easy. Um, I don't tend to trade as well with people who like have that whole strategy of like coming in low and like insulting the player they're trading for and <laughs> <laughs> doubling back on that. And then like, going after your team and it's like oh my god like i get it it's like you're not selling me a used car man like get out of here um <laughs> and i feel like there's a lot of those guys and there's there some is. people that, like that strive within that world um there's nothing wrong where, with making an even trade people yeah, I mean, yeah. Like, what do we say the rule of a good trade is you're a little pissed about it but you got what you needed back right yeah well and but i but i think you just kind of you just like all right you know the, I, it makes sense it just makes sense on paper those are the deals that i make and it's not yeah. There, there are times where I'm more active with certain uh, trading than others. Um, but uh, it just depends, you know, um, it depends in the league. And I think a lot of it comes down to sort of the relationships you can build with other people. Um, you and burn, you don't want to burn bridges in a league. Yeah. There's only so many people you can trade with and you want to be able to move. You want to be able to trade with all of them. Yeah. Like, like um, there's definitely uh, some, there's definitely some leagues that I'm in where it's like, they're just like, pains in the ass and like i'm so busy with like you know three kids and and a job and then all the stuff i do with prospects and writing and recording and it's like and and it's like i just don't have time to like go back and forth and banter with you about like this ridiculous <laughs> this ridiculous trade that you offered and i'm like no nah, man it's not close this is what i want and then you're like trying to justify it to me and it's like eh. I know who the players are, man. Like, come on. <laughs> and there's some people that are, uh, some people are always like swinging for the fence, always trying to make this giant blockbuster trade, or you said, try to fleece you over where in dynasty, especially a really deep one, yeah. you know, you really want to just compound good decision after good decision where you don't need to swing for the fence every time where you could possibly strike out, especially in like multiplayer trades. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with making incremental um, improvements over and over again. They will add up. Um, there's no, you know, there's no clock on this thing, <laughs> you know, as they say. Well, especially if you're like rebuilding um, or you're like a mid-tier team that maybe has like a young core, you don't necessarily want to trade from that, you know? And yeah. I always feel like what happens is people come up to you, you know, approach you and they start to offer you deals for young major league players with like two or three upside prospects. Um, and it's always like right after I write about a guy too. Like if I say something positive, then it's like all of a sudden it's like, ah, oh, you know, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trade, you know. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to move like Anthony Rizzo for, you know, whoever. Right. It's like, I'm not going to do that deal, man. It's going to, it's going to hurt me, you know? Yeah. Um, 
and I feel like there's so many op like times where it's like, well, you know, here's a couple of prospects and I need this guy back. And it's like, no, you're, you're giving me the end of your, your, your bench or the guys that you know, you can spare for the next two years in order to get that, that right now production. But it's not, it's not good value. There's other times where it makes a ton of sense, you know, like right before the trade deadline, I'm probably my most active in a lot of my dynasty leagues because that's where you can make a fair assessment of like, I'm competing. I can trade these pieces or I'm out of it. And it makes sense for me to trade these guys for picks or for other prospects that I really do like. And, you know, it, I think everything is so much based on context of the league, where your team's at, you know, scoring. And yeah. Sort of yeah, we're talking about a pro we're talking about such a broad topic and we're trying to make it as specific as possible well, i just think it's just the, <laughs> my encouragement is just think about it like yeah so often we get questions and on you know twitter or in comments or email and they're either really vague in terms of the description of the league or it's a super specific league and my first question back typically is like well you know your league like what do you think you know and why and then like let's talk about like why you think that and see if it actually applies as opposed to me just giving you a canned answer based upon who I like the best, because I may not totally understand your league context where, you know, you discussing it with me a little bit and what your thought process is. We can either identify flaws or, you know, in logic, or we can come to an ultimate truth or conclusion of like, this seems to be the right fit for like what you're thinking, you know, your risk tolerance and the scoring in the league. Like, I, I think there's so much more to roster questions than, than people realize sometimes, Yeah, you know? I put, out, I put out a tweet the other day. I'm like, I love all your questions. I love answering them. But I, I really would like the following information at minimum. And I listed all these things, especially for Dynasty. It's like, yeah, it's, tough. Yeah, it's, 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 it's crazy. Uh, and another problem people have is trading or acquiring youth for the sake of people being youthful. You know, uh, in Dynasty, everyone's like, oh, you know, you got to draft young people. Uh, Nelson Cruz is trash. No, he's still very, very good. Um, I know that, you know, you want to stockpile those young guys, but I know we kind of hit on this throughout the entire show, but it's just something you want to hammer home to anyone who hasn't played before. Don't chase youth for the sake of it. You know, you want to uh, bring in people who have potential, not just you can't have an entire team of potential. Yeah. And I think there's also guys that depending upon like what their risk is at position, you got to sort of consider that and the way that they play the game, you know, um, like for me, I know he's had, you know, a prior history of being injury prone, but the last few seasons he hasn't been, and he's going to be a DH for the rest of his career. And he's got a contract in a great ballpark. It's JD Martinez. That's a guy that despite his age, I almost deduct like three years off of him because at that position with that skill set, those handful of guys over the last 20 years have aged really, really well, which yeah. is like DHs that have good approach, good contact skills, you know, understand hitting and just have massive raw power and really easy power strokes. And JD um, is so underrated too. If know. he stole bases, he's Mike Trout. Yeah, he, he's I mean, not that, running. And yeah. he's not running, which is actually good for long-term value. He's not running. Yeah. He's not going to be in the field. Um, so really like, you know, it's like Ortiz. Ortiz was undervalued for like six years in redraft. It was insane. It was like half his career was like because he was utility only and he, and he got stuck, you know, um, and like the one like after pick 100 a lot. And most of the time the guy was producing like top 40 years easy, you know, um, and it's the same thing with Nelson Cruz and Carnacion to a lesser extent is sort of the same. Um you can go right down the line. There's just so many of those guys and they age well. So for me, like I feel like Martinez is one of those guys that was underrated and in, in a lot of startup uh, dynasty leagues this year. 
And, you know, he's going to return. He's underrated, in re, he's underrated in redraft. <laughs> yeah, he can return first round sort of numbers or top 25 numbers. Because I really think if you're taking a first round pick, you really just want a guy that's in the top 25. You're not yeah. going to nail top five. You're not going to nail top 10. There's too much variance. There's too much noise in baseball. We know about that, the luck factor and everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a guy that's going to give you that top 25 sort of upside potentially for like three years. And like, really, with any of these guys, any of them, you have no idea what's going to happen over the next three years. They'd be catastrophic injuries. You know, they could have drug problems. They could have, you know, off the field issues. There could be a tanked out lineup. You know, yeah, so many things. I mean, it's just, there's so many things and there's so much noise with that sort of stuff that I think like you look at that three-year window because once you start projecting five, six years out, like good luck. Good yeah. Luck. Plus, I mean, I mean, hey, no, nothing wrong with uh, the league you're in, everybody. I'm, lo- I'm talking to you directly, whoever's listening. Who knows if your league will even be around in three years? Dynasty leagues tend to change around sometimes. I mean, if you're in a long-term one, they're fantastic. I'm not saying they don't. Well, there's plenty that last a long time. But don't plan for five years. Who knows where you will be in five years? Maybe you'll hate baseball in five years. I love the three-year window in general, not to be overdramatic with everything I just said. But you have a star like J.D. Martinez who's definitely good for three years. That's what you want to see. You don't Owning Jason Dominguez is great. You don't want a whole bench full of them, though, when they're a bunch of age 17 kids. Where the fact is, my next point is, most prospects fail. I mean, number one prospects have a good track record, but you just look at, you know, just look at everyone who has ever come up. The chances of you hitting on everyone are, are very slim. So you definitely have to have an eye for the future on what is actually going to help you, what is actually going to help you within the next three years. Um, so going to guys like, you know, Jason Dominguez, for example. If you're drafting people or even in like, you know, uh, start, you know, you know, when you're actually drafting the um, going into to next year, you're looking at the the Andrew Vaughn's and everything. Um, how do you go as far as scouting guys? I mean, this also works for redraft as well when you're looking for um, breakouts. What kind of like, um, you know, because you obviously are very into scouting. I know I, I'm very like kind of data driven. What kind of things do you look for in terms of finding the, the hidden value as far as like, you know, swinging strike rate for a pitcher or like, you know, barrels or, or you know, exit velocity, simple things like that. Things that the uh, the listeners can kind of take with them to improve their like the way they uh, kind of scout for their dynasty team. Yeah. So I think the biggest thing is um, there'll be a few things, natural abilities that jump right off the page of you for, for pitchers or for hitters. And for hitters, it's going to be the ability to get the bat on the ball. Um, but it's also going to be sort of co- quality of contact. Um, and you, you'll see that you'll see that right away. Like, I think I think you could be a novice and notice that sort of thing immediately. And I think for pitchers, it's probably stuff. So, you know, velocity, how much it moves. You could see that you've been watching enough pitching ninja gifs over the last, uh, you know, three, four years or whatever. And, and, and you got a good idea of, you know, what it is, even if the pitch is sometimes tough to differentiate, you know, with some movements and velocity bands, you know, you call sliders and curveballs the same thing or whatever. It's a breaking ball, right? And even changeups at times can look like breaking balls if they have significant drop and you don't have spin numbers in front of you. Um, but you can see stuff pretty well and you can see guys that throw strikes, right? Now, I think the thing when you dig in a little bit more and what you have to be cognizant of and really m- more cerebral about and just pay attention to is approach and that's sequencing for pitchers or plate discipline 
um, for hitters. And it's, you know, a guy like Vaughn jumped off the page at me when I saw him the first time. And obviously this is a guy that was coming off a historic um, uh, Golden Spike season uh, in 2018 with Cal. And the numbers were tremendous. You can go look them up. Um, but still, you know, you're kind of skeptical of college numbers. You're, you're skeptical of any numbers, especially considering, you know, they don't play all conference games and there are some softies that they play. And a lot of guys are going to be insurance salesmen that are pitching to them. Um, but as soon as I saw him, the first thing that jumped out to me was like, you know, raw power, bat speeds, bat speeds, fat, bat was fast as hell. Like you'd never seen anything this quick. Um, or at least, you know, at that level. And the other part of it was his plate approach that, you know, he wasn't fooled even by good breaking balls. Um, he allowed stuff on the outside. He'd be willing to take a strike on it. Uh, and if there were any mistakes that were left up and in or sort of center cut, he was all over him and he made really good contact. Um, uh, whether that, you know, landed foul or was a deep fly ball or, you know, a hard hit line drive, whatever it was, he made that excellent contact. Um, and then, you know, you look at guys, uh, you know, pitchers. Um, and I think what differentiates a guy, I saw a lot of great arms last year. And what differentiated a guy like Casey Mize for me, just from, and I think it'll be up later this year. I know we got that question. I'll throw it out now. Um, differentiated a guy like him, just in terms of like his approach versus a guy like Nate Pearson, who isn't a terrible sequencer, but Nate Pearson's stuff is like as good as you can imagine. I mean, it's just nuts. His fastball is 100 plus miles an hour consistently. Uh, he's big. He's huge. He's got a nasty curveball. He's got a good slider. He's got a changeup that's good as well. He's got this deep arsenal of pitches and everything moves phenomenally well. A little bit more trouble throwing strikes, but like Mize is surgical. And Mize is one of these guys where he'll pound you early with a fastball so you get caught up on it. And then he'll, and then he'll hit you with, you know, the slider that's, you know, breaks um, that breaks glove side hard. And then, it'll, and then it'll hit you with, um, the sinker, which is like a double plus pit, uh, excuse me, the, the splitter, which is a double plus pitch The splitter will come in and it breaks almost to the opposite side of the plate a little bit. It's, it, it got a little bit of late, um, arm side movement, but it's got tremendous tumble and drop. I mean, you know, this thing drops like four feet. It goes from like, you know, the numbers to below the knees and right late in the zone. It's just such a nasty pitch when paired with his fastball and his slider and a guy like that can come out. I remember one fifth inning against Hartford. He was pitching for Erie. It was before he got hurt. So this is like prime Casey Mize. And I got to see him in Florida early when I was on vacation uh, with Lakeland versus Palm beach. And then I got to, uh, I got to catch him uh, Hartford versus Erie in Hartford. Um, so, so a home start and a road start as well, but struggled a little bit with fastball command early kind of got it reined in and then all of a sudden after he got the fastball command he started working off the secondaries as out pitches and i mean he was surgical in terms of like no at bats went six pitches i mean it was like three four five pitches at most comes out in the fifth and he threw nothing but sliders and splitters he was just working he was working breaking ball because he had the ability to do that so you look at stuff like that and you're like all right this guy's different right he's got better command he's got understanding this is this is a guy like that translates. You got to have stuff. You got to be able to miss bats. You got to be able to limit contact, and you got to be able to throw strikes. But the missing component is that approach piece of it, and how you utilize all that stuff and that strike throwing ability and the ability to manipulate pitches and do all that. And that's when it shines through. And I think it's approach for for hitters and for pitchers. I, I put up one um, of a guy that's going to be a, a first round draft pick. He could be top. 10 he could be top 15 he could be top 30 he's a day one guy though he's a right-hander for uh south carolina uh by the name of uh Car carbon mozenski it's m uh 
M-L-O-D-Z-I-N-S-K-Y Molzinski. So um, my, uh, my aunt lives down in Columbia, so I'm actually aware of the. Okay. <laughs> and I, we caught him on the Cape. It's funny. I saw him in the worst start he had in the Cape, and it got rained out after the second inning, and it didn't count. So the numbers didn't count against his final line, but he was the breakout guy of the Cape. He was more fastball, and he's got a tremendous fastball. Um, really good, uh, really good hard breaker. It's a slide, hard slider or really hard curveball. It sits like 80 to 84. Throws a changeup a little bit as well. But uh, he's been working a lot more off of the cutter, which I think is a great development because that pitch is like 89 to 91, and it almost works as a changeup with his fastball. He pitches really heavily to his glove side and sort of away from right-handed hitters. When he goes in and he attacks right-handed hitters, he gets swings and misses, and he gets bad contact in those guys. Mm. But he's shown sort of a reluctancy to pitch inside, where, like, for me, the last component to a guy like him is, you know, if if um, Molzinski start, uh, starts throwing to the inside part of the plate against right-handed hitters, I think he can really take a step forward. And a lot of that might be approach and sort of what his sequencing is, maybe using the breaking ball a little bit more, and guys like that can take a big step forward with the right pitching coach. They end up in a place like Seattle and they're headed to, you know, their gas camp. Um, it, it's like there, there's so many guys, so many teams now that have the ability to take that value and turn it into something. Um, and we just hope that it spreads through the lower minors with, you know, guys like, you know, Kyle Body, of course, getting hired by the Reds and, you know, better, more analytical, more focused minor league pitching programs. You know, hopefully we can get to the point that we actually start to teach treat minor leaguers like the premium athletes that they are however we can do that and, and if unfortunately that's the positive side effect of the kill 42 which i hate because i'll lose some teams and my favorite local team lowell lose because of the kill 42 maybe the other side of it is these guys will get forty thousand dollars a year they'll have nutritionists they'll be fed by the teams every day and they'll be on full season and off seasons where the teams take control of their training workouts and they're really analytical and they're focusing on what they're doing and how they're training. You can do that remotely. Now we can do that remotely with hit tracks. We can do that remotely with all these different pitch tracking metrics. You can be at a computer in Boston and be, you know, talking through a screen share and looking at the data from a hitting session, from a, a BP session in a cage um, in Tennessee. Um, it could be at a goddamn Dick's sporting goods with hit tracks, you know, that, you can even play competitions. You can train with these guys year round and you can stop the craziness where these guys are making below minimum wage and eating crappy food. And I think it only adds to a lot of them not being physically fit. And it's one of the things going back to like a guy like Tim Anderson, I think we were talking about earlier, but Anderson, one of the funny comments he had last year was that he never really had great coaching training or sort of, um, uh, uh, nutrition, all this sort of stuff. Like it was never really avail available to him until he got to the major leagues. And I think that's why there's so many guys that improve when they get to the major leagues, you know, because yeah. they finally have that access to all these different benefits um, that they didn't have. There's someone who uh, posted a picture of Mike Trout when the whole bull crap about him using HGH uh, with that. Uh, I can't remember who made the comment. Somebody's yeah. son, Scott Brocious's son, maybe. Yeah. Um, they posted a picture of him when he was drafted versus now when he's kind of jacked. And it's like in the major leagues, when you have like 15 personal trainers and a couple of nutritionists in your face, you're bound to get be a lot healthier and more finely tuned. That happens with quite a few people uh, to your credit. But I love all the points you bring up. I mean, uh, the, the kill 42 is obviously an emotional issue for a lot of people. I said, my, I, uh, my dad grew up in Binghamton, New York. There yeah. was nothing around there, but the double a team for the Mets, they will be gone. So it's, 
you know, I, I know all the benefits, you know, there's t plenty of benefits, like you said, but that, I guess that's kind of an emotional thing. Uh, going back to Casey Mize, I, I love how the, the split finger, I wish people more, they don't throw it as much. I don't know it's because it's a dangerous yeah. pitch. Yeah. It's so uncomfortable. Casey Mize is hurt because of it, right? It, yeah. it is, man. It's one of those pitches I wish everybody threw. Frankie but... Montas added one in at the end of the year. He only throws it like 12, 18% of the time, but it completely transformed how he pitched. It, there's a guy in the Detroit system that I love, and I think he's a super underrated prospect, Um, and it's Anthony Castro. He's a, a right-handed pitcher. He's got a nasty slider. His fastball is like high 90s velocity at times, but it sits comfortably like 93 to 95, touching 96. And he threw a splitter in 2018. It was a really good pitch for the end of the year. He scrapped it for 2019, I think, because of some he's coming off of some elbow stuff. And um, it was hilarious because if he adds that in, I feel like this guy could be the next Montas. Like he's got the slider, he's got the fastball to do it, and then he adds this true like third pitch. And splitters for the most part are really like amazing change-ups it, it can it can sort of be that neutralizer in um you know uh uh, uh offside of matchups or whatever you want to say off-handed matchups so um it's a pitch that i love and i wish more guys threw it but keep an eye on anthony castro for that all right so getting into hitters a little bit i know you said that uh, you're kind of getting into the things that obviously can translate to the major leagues uh which plate discipline is a big deal because that's one of those things that happen to cross over a lot uh, when someone is a strikeout machine in the minor leagues, that is not likely to improve in the major leagues. Um, there's weird guys like Kevin Biggio where they have high strikeout and high walk rates and that transferred directly to the majors. But obviously his issue is he just takes a ton of pitches. I mean, he's like among the leaders in called strikes. So there's certain things you can look for in the minor leagues. I know I brought up Vlad Guerrero Jr., who's a very interesting guy. Everyone, obviously, you know, he was projected to win the batting title last year. Obviously didn't work out, but he was about as high a prospect as many people can remember there being for a long time in hitting. Last year, in the second half, he did better as far as surface stats. His, his batting average is up. I did a thread on him where I'm not quite as excited because um, even though his average is up, it looked like mostly singles. His, his home runs and doubles were actually exactly the same for first and second half. He's a line drive hitter. A lot of ground balls, but again, that was in the minor leagues too. So if that wasn't a red flag for you in the minors, it shouldn't be in the majors. This is kind of the, the hitter he is. There's reports he's working on launch angle, and that works for some people. It doesn't work for some people. But obviously, when you're talking about guys like him and Framel Reyes working on launch angle, it definitely makes you raise your eyebrow because he did lead the league in exit velocity, or max exit velocity, I should say. So what are some things that, uh, from a hitter standpoint, that you really look for? Um, in the minor leagues, uh, kind of as far as maybe red flags or things that kind of jump out to you that maybe uh, make you take a second look at uh, at certain people or, or, or either good or bad. Yeah, I think it's probably like angle of the ball, like the kind of swing you have. You look at a guy like Dylan Cousins, who's super huge. He's got tons of holes in his swing, um, and it's a super groove swing. So, like if you throw it inside, sort of like middle center cut stuff, like he could jump on that and he'll shoot it like you know five hundred feet. <laughs> in the right field but um you know there's some issues there i think you know um other things that stick out are something like a bat wrap um which actually bo bichette has a pretty bad bat wrap but his bat speed is so insane that it doesn't hurt him so much he does a good job of sort of adjusting with his hands uh mid-stroke and the contact numbers have been pretty good but there's another guy like everson Pereira, who is a um outfielder in the yankee system who some people are pretty hyped on as a j2 signing I caught him this year uh, in the New York Penn League. He's got like a significant bat wrap, and it actually steals some of his power. It saps away some of his contact ability and a little bit of his bat speed as well. 
So, you know, that's like, you know, when someone's actually like bringing their hands back and actually like, you know, twisting on it and take a look, Google bat wrap, you'll know what I'm talking about. You'll be able to identify it a little bit better. So that's something that I noticed with hitters uh, right off the bat is sort of the attack angle or bat wraps that uh, sort of jump out to me. Um, but, you know, I think a lot of it comes down to just the ability to make contact. You know, um, there's a lot of guys who are not bad contact hitters, but they're patient to a fault. Um, somebody like uh, Nolan Jones kind of jumps out to me where he takes a ton of his swing strike rate isn't bad, but he has a really high strikeout rate because he takes so many pitches. Now, part of that, and I will say this is one thing that can improve, is a guy like that who maybe has like an exceptional eye the strike zones do get smaller as you move up the minor leagues until you get to the majors. And that's smaller than triple a. Um, so a lot of those pitches that you're taking on the black do turn into balls. Um, especially when you've sort of proven yourself to, to major league umpires and uh, you know, they're get, willing to give you the benefit of the doubt on some of that stuff. I think that does happen um, with reputation and things like that. But um, so I don't want to take too much away from that. And I mean, there are guys that make adjustments and improve and it's just a matter of, seeing high quality stuff and different sequencing um you know a, a few thousand times like i think that first thousand at bats is such a learning experience for for so many players especially if it's even just in the upper minors let alone the major leagues um where you can dominate with certain skills in the lower minors uh whether as a hitter or even as a pitcher like you know guys in a ball that have a plus changeup that are college guys and know how to sell the changeup, they're gonna dominate like a guy like chris bubich so like you know for me like you have to look at Bubich with a bit of skepticism simply because he sells that changeup so well. It was another guy, Joey Wentz, did that really well. He was, of course, a prep prospect. But his lower minors numbers, get, you know, I had some skepticism about him. I haven't watched him because the changeup sold so well, and it really fools some of these less advanced teenage hitters um, or guys that are just a little bit more strikeout prone. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, overall, there's just little skills that you look for. There's little boxes that guys fit into. Um but, you know, it's it's like the old definition of, like, pornography. You sort of know it when you see it, right? Um, <laughs> some of that stuff just, just sticks out. And, you know, there are guys, too, like a guy like Matt Chapman, whose strikeout numbers significantly improved as he got to the major leagues, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of that's probably coaching and just the right guy noticing the right thing in the right offseason. That's the great thing about baseball is, unlike other sports, you're not totally limited by your your body in terms of the type of impact you can have, maybe the type of player you can be a little bit, you know, um, you know, certainly, uh, you know, Jordan Alvarez is never going to be a 40 base, if, uh, you know, a 40, you know, stolen base guy, cause he doesn't have the speed to do it, but um, he can be a really productive player the same way that maybe somebody like Nick Madrigal one day could be a really productive major leaguer. Um, and there's just so many different ways to attack it. And there's so many metrics now and ways that we can measure things. And we're just getting a better understanding of how people's body moves and how that essentially um, ends up in, in particular outcomes that as we get deeper and deeper into that and we get a better understanding, there's more ways and more information. If a guy wants to seek it in ways that he can re rework himself and remake himself, you know, a perfect example is a guy like Daniel Murphy um, when he was still going, going well, or a guy like Justin Turner, you know? Yeah. I, I, I love that you bring up like the thing, like the bat rap when people have those, obviously it, Bichette hasn't not affected uh, coming to the majors, but usually, you know, the minor leagues, it's very easy to get rid of when get away with having like a giant hitch or some kind of weird Clint thing Frazier. that takes away from your yeah timing <laughs> mechanism in the minors, because yeah, they throw fast in the minors too. And it's not a matter when you get to the majors, they're throwing any faster, which they are, but it's a matter of they're throwing all this crazy sequence gun godly breaking stuff at you, where it's, your decision-making is cut 
in, in, into a quarter of the time. Yeah. So like you have a guy like Garrett Hampson who made tons of contact in the minors, got up and obviously there, he doesn't get a ton of playing time, which doesn't help Rockies mm. uh, give a guy, give a guy a chance. But Dave Magadan uh, noticed that he had a little bit too much of a hitch in his swing, a little too bit of like a lunge. He just put in a little bit of a toe tap to change his timing mechanism, give him a whole lot more time um, to make a decision at the plate. And then after that, his very first at bat implementing the toe tap, he took Michael Walker deep, not a huge feat, but uh, to end the season, I mean, he per, like extrapolated out. He ended up on like a 25, 30 home runs, 60 stolen based uh, uh, kind of a pace, which obviously yeah. is not something that's going to happen, but it just, it just gives you an example of like those little tiny things where, you know, if the skills are there, little tiny things like that can be fixed, but sometimes it's a red flag if they don't go away. But yeah, it's, it's just a small example of just some little tiny things can, can, can prevent you from being, uh, you know, successful in the majors. So you just said Clint Frazier, who should theoretically get a shot now, right? With Carlos Stanton possibly being out, or I don't know if they'll just give Andrew Jar some at-bats in the outfield. Yeah, I feel well. I wonder if they maybe DH uh, Andujar, and um, you get more maybe uh, my boy Mike Talkman. They yeah. get more Talkman. I want Talkman to play, so <laughs> that would be the opportunity. I mean, hey, what was it? Uh, Severino had forearm tightness since the end of end of last season, and for now, all of a sudden, it's a surprise. Uh, shoulder shoulder problems for Mike uh, for for Aaron Judge last season still has him now. So there's a lot more problems for the Yankees uh, than uh, you know. So some of those guys are going to be getting some of that. Wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be like the like poetic justice if like uh, it turned into like a Washington National situation and somehow the Red Sox with like losing. <laughs> <laughs> losing Mookie bets end up like winning the World Series because like Nate or or like at least being like winning the division because like Nate Eovaldi has like his like greatest season ever and like Eduardo Rodriguez is good and they get like some weird year from like Kyle Hart. <laughs> like, you bring up Nate Eovaldi together and like the entire team just makes it happen. Like yeah, hey, it I won't think- happen, but it would be hilarious if that's what happens and the Yankees finish third. And well, right. who's, who's healthy on the Yankees? Garrett Cole and like Glaber Torres. <laughs> it's, it's like and end Mayhew, of, I guess. End of, end of list. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't surprise the, the Rays are at home just counting their money right now. Probably like, yes, Austin, our 50 outfielders, we're going to do it. Um, yeah. <laughs> but oh yeah, God. I mean, yeah, it'll, it, it'll be interesting to see what the heck happens going forward there. Uh, Nate Ivaldi, you bring up. And I'm like, always like, all right, I'm done with the Evaldi. I, I haven't seen it. Then I see his first spring start. He's like, first pitch, 101. Yes, I'm back in yeah. on Evaldi. I see it now. My eyes have been reopened. Uh, so, yeah, that's another uh, interesting aspect. So, um, yeah, we pretty much covered a lot of the stuff here um, for, for Dynasty Leagues. Hopefully everyone, you know, if you're not in one, you give it a shot because it's truly freaking amazing. Uh, before we end the show, is there any kind of like – parting thoughts you want to leave to anyone as far as like uh who is in a current um dynasty league any players that maybe are not talked about enough either even high-end guys you think are talked about or maybe like uh you're not as excited about or some guys that you're not i mean obviously i'm very skewed i'm like um, i'm taking in as many uh you know brett Beatty <laughs> shares as i can and because uh, i'm obviously a met fan uh but uh like w- what are you kind of looking for yeah so i think there's um there's a few names that I'll I'll sort of throw out there. Um, I think for whatever reason, Trent Grisham is still like super underrated, um, and he's a guy that I would I would go after in trades because I think right now you're going to be able to get a good price on him. Um, and I think it's sort of the same for like uh, Yoshi Susugo. Um, 
even if he doesn't play all that much this year, I feel like he's a worthy gamble regardless of what your team is like. Um, and I think that, you know, the cream will sort of rise to the top there. I, I do think he's a, a, a legitimate asset um, that could be pretty valuable. Uh, the other guy I wanted to sort of bring up too is um, Peyton Burdick is a, a Miami Marlins prospect, went to Wright State, um, had tremendous um, analytical numbers in terms of exit velocity and some of that stuff. He actually had the three hardest hit balls on the 2018 Cape Cod League that featured Andrew Vaughn, Spencer Torkelson, Hunter Bishop, who looked nothing like he does now. <laughs> he was terrible when I saw him. Uh, and a lot of other big power guys. And, um, you know, he, he's a guy whose athleticism is a, is very undersold. Um, and, you know, he's a guy that can't play a corner outfield spot. He's faster than you think. I think he'll run a little bit. Um, the contact is is hard. There's a lot of it. He's going to hit for power. And he already ascended all the way to the Florida State League. Um, so I think that he's a guy that could really jump up lists. I almost feel like I underrated him a little bit in my uh, massive first year player draft ranks where I did like 200 guys. But um, I think I had him in the forties and I probably move him up into like the, the twenties at this point. He's a guy that I would definitely try to try to get in all my dynasty leagues because I think Burdick is legit. And um, I think there could be some opportunity for him uh, in Miami or if he ends up getting traded somewhere else in the next couple of years, just because um, he's already ascended through, you know, essentially three levels of the minors and been really productive. I mean, his first taste of uh, full season ball, he was excellent. Um, so there's a good chance that he finishes the year in triple a, um, it, you know, if he stays in the same trajectory, there's like this off, off chance that, you know, he ascends to the majors at the end of the season. Um, but I think he's a guy that's definitely like a 2021 at worst. And, uh, I think that he's going to pay dividends based upon where you're going to be able to get him, what the cost is. Um, and if it doesn't work out, it's not going to be something that, uh, you know, cut and bait and going for, you know, whoever the young, uh, Dominican that signed that broke out in uh, August or whatever in Arizona. Um, it's not going to be hard to get that guy. Um, a couple of guys that popped in my head. No rhyme or reason while you were talking. Obviously, Marlins is why this guy did it. Isan Diaz. Um, he's going to be getting a shot to play every day. Uh, little guy with tons of power. Um, obviously, had a lot of flaws when he came up. Uh, what do you think of his long-term potential? Is that the Marlins, like people on terrible teams, you can get a very gigantic discount on, even if they're in the majors and he's a guy that's probably going to play every single day. So just because you're talking about the Marlins, just curious your opinion on a guy like Diaz who has his tons of power, um, but again, everyone is ignoring. Yeah, and with Diaz, I've kind of gone back and forth over the years. I've known about Isan Diaz since he was a high schooler actually here in Massachusetts. And um he was with the Brewers for a bit, and uh, you know I always like the approach. It's um, a lot of walks, just get on base a fair amount. Um, though it kind of comes and goes depending upon his. He's he's kind of funny in that sense that like he'll be really aggressive at times, and then like super prudent and almost takes too many pitches. But he's got a, a, a massive uppercut swing, and um, he tones that down a little bit. Um, you know I think there's a future there. Uh, he could hit for power. I mean, maybe he could be kind of a sort of a Dan Ugla kind of a profile mm -hmm. um, ultimately, but uh, he's an interesting player and he's more or less free in most leagues. And he's not going to cost you a whole heck of a lot. Um, there's a lot of guys out there. I, I know just cause you brought the Marlins yeah. I brought him up. Cause there's a lot of interesting people that they're, you said at bats are a premium. So there's a, as far as you said, uh, he's, he's interesting in terms of he's got tons of potential and he's got every day at bats and there's not too many people you can say that about. No, <laughs> you brought but, up Trent Grisham. We were talking about Jake Fraley a little bit before the show. Yep. So there's there's a bunch, there's a handful of guys that are absolutely free that might be worth a flyer. 
Uh, next guy I wanted to bring up um, was again Jeter Downs, just because you're up uh, New England. The uh, mm-hmm. he was he's in a weird prospect logjam with the Dodgers. You don't know they were constantly looking to trade Corey Seager for Francisco Lindor over the uh, over the summer. At least that, that's what the rumors are. He goes to Boston, where obviously shortstop is spoken for at the moment, but with um, Pedroia having his setback and possibly on his way to may- maybe retirement at this point. You have Shea- you have Chavis who you don't know if he's going to be a first or second. You obviously have Dalbeck, you sign Mitch Moreland, uh, but f- and then uh, Jose Peraza is also at second base. But going into next year, it looks like things shake a certain way in a likely way. It looks like Jeter Downs could be long-term second baseman, at least at least in the uh, opening day lineup possibly even for the Red Sox next year. So I just want to get your opinion on Downs. I think the move from L.A. to Boston as far as a timetable should be a positive thing for him. Yeah. Um, there's a few reasons I don't think he breaks camp in 2021. Um, but you know, I think for this season, at least, um, you know, he'll probably start the year in, in double a and spend the majority of a season in Portland, maybe finish up in Pawtucket for uh, the last month or so. So I would sort of project it to go out, um, or predict it to go out. Uh, it's really a projections prediction. Um, but I would also, uh, you know, say that, you know, this season it's probably going to be, um, Michael Chavis, uh, as they're probably everyday start, uh, starting second baseman, Pedroia's done. Um, I saw Pedroia last year on one of his rehab stints, and he just can't get into his back leg any longer. So even if he makes good good contact, he can't drive the ball, um, which is a big deal with a guy that really gets everything out of his swing. Um, and unfortunately, I think it's because he's Dustin Pedroia, he can't give it up. But it's been pretty much three years now he's been dealing with this. He's got more setbacks now. He's still not fully healthy. Um, he's got that contract and, and, you know, he's just got, he's got fired. It's the, one of the things that made him great as a player, it kind of makes him frustrating as a fan now, you know, and you kind of want him to retire and, you know, maybe find an, an opportunity within the organization to work with some guys or whatever mm-hmm. it might be. Um, which is unfortunate. He's, it was he's the Red Sox, David Wright, where you want him to play and you just know it's over. It's sad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, you know, uh, and it was fun to sort of see him down there last year, but it was also sort of sad, you know, just because you kind of could see that it's like it, it's not coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I wonder if Peraza, he just seems sneaky. It seems like he could have a rebound season. Um, you know, we don't all love the approach, but that that's that speed, if he's okay in the field and he's more sure-handed, he's going to have a little bit more range, obviously, than, than Chavis does. Um, but I wonder if he sneaks into some playing time. I think he's an upgrade from from Brock Holt to the position. I know Lord strike me dead uh, amongst the Red Sox fan base that I say anything negative about Brock Holt, but <laughs> I think he's an upgrade over Brock Holt. Um, and he gives you another dimension as a as just a base runner. And, and I was so excited when they, he came there, and it looked like it was going to be Chavis at first before you brought back Moreland. Before the I, Red Sox brought back Moreland, I was excited about the, the Chavis because it looked like the playing time was at least I think, I think more locked in. I think Dahlback might have taken that job because I you think, think I mean I would love that. Better, I love Dahlback. He's better defensively. Um yeah. the thing is you're wasting his arm there, but it's nothing wrong with having a guy that can actually throw at first base. Yeah. Um, you know, uh the fact that he's you know ready to throw and ready to hitting doesn't help. Um I really prefer to have him at third. And I thought he was gonna be there until um Devers took a massive step forward in terms of his defensive profile in 2019. Um it wasn't the same guy that we saw in 2018. Um but I think what happens with Downs is um, he probably plays a fair amount of short, gets moved to second at some point. His style of hitting should really play in Fenway Park. Um, he's a good base runner, a uh, good base stealer. He's not super fast. A lot of it's more just great jumps and good reads. 
um, which honestly is a bigger skill when it comes to stealing bases and just straight line speed. Christian Pache could tell you that. Um, but I think he probably, like I said, finishes the year in Pawtucket. And I think he opens the ballpark in Worcester. I think he's going to be their big draw. And uh, I think he's probably their opening day second baseman or shortstop for the Worcester Red Sox. Probably plays there for about three to four weeks. And then maybe, depending upon what the situation is at second base in Boston, um, could be up early in that first month, uh, first couple of months in 2021. So that was where I would put his timeline as early 2021. But um, I do think as uh, the ballpark opens about 10 minutes from my house, I'll probably have downs for a uh, better part of the uh, first month of the season. Just It just seems like that's probably what will happen. Um, they have enough fits, and I think with Bloom in charge now, they'll be a little bit a little bit less uh, uh, um, quick to sort of promote guys right out of camp. All right. And now before we end the show, we'll, we'll talk about uh, some pitchers to look forward to. We already talked about Gore and Pearson a little bit earlier. You, you brought up Casey Mize. Uh, quick question. Who do you like more, Mize or Manning? Uh, long term and then aside from those guys we already covered who's someone that in the short term as far as prospect pitchers who you're most excited about uh who's not in the majors yet uh, to take make a, a giant step forward for dynasty sure uh so i like manning more than mize health health track tra- or health is uh tremendous matt manning is one of the elite athletes in and i think athletes in general for the most part i mean pitchers for the most part are great athletes but he is a tremendous athlete he really feels feel his position really well repeats his mechanics really well. And when you consider this guy was really a basketball player, you know, his father played in the NBA, but um, you know, this guy was a basketball player for most of his life up until this, the point that he was drafted, got that bonus and he's been full-time um, baseball since I think, you know, you've seen this guy has a tremendous body. He's got tremendous extension. He's got great velocity that comes, you know, pretty easily to him though. It can wane at times, but I think that he doesn't go all out. You know, what he gets comes very natural. It's a very easy, repeatable mechanics, which just doesn't have much strain in his arm or his shoulders or any of his lower half. Um, and I think there's development and some ceiling still uh, with a fastball as well as with the changeup. And that curveball is an absolute hammer. And it tunnels really well with his fastball up in the zone. You know, so he sort of has a very similar uh, profile to like Justin Verlander if he was like three inches taller, you know, um, yeah. and more athletic. So, I really like Matt Manning. I think he can stick around for a long time. And I think he can be a really special pitcher, especially if he develops like like a fourth pitch. And I think he's the kind of guy that where it can happen because so many other things have been developing and going really, really well. And when you're athletic, and I think we know this just from firsthand experience of knowing the guys that are even good athletes in our hometowns, which right compared to these guys aren't even close, but they adjust and take on sports much easier, more easily than the rest of us that have to try our ass off to be good at things. Right. Yeah. So I think that's part of it. And I love Casey Mize, but you can't look at the health and the track record of poor health and elbow concerns and not think there could be a Tommy John surgery that's lurking in the next like 18 months, unfortunately, but I think it's still there. So you got to take that into consideration. And the guy that I think is going to be a huge breakout uh, in terms of an arm this year is Edward Cabrera from the Marlins. He already broke out a little bit last year. I think he's better than Sixto Sanchez. This is a guy that is a, a fastball with moving that can touch the, the, the high nineties. He limits hard contact. He throws a fair amount of strikes. Um, he's got a change up and a breaking ball that are good. And I, you know, I think ultimately when this guy comes together, he's going to be one of the better pitching prospects that's in the minors right now. And I think I had him ranked in my real life ranks within the top 50. Um, maybe just, just outside that maybe it was like 60 for fantasy. But that's only because I don't think he's going to be up until 2021. But he is in the 40-man, so there is a chance that if he pitches himself 
into a situation where he's in consideration, he could end up in Miami this season. And we know it's a great ballpark to pitch in. It's, it's the National Leagues. It's kind of a nice landing spot for these young guys. In some ways, it's almost what San Diego was like like five, six, seven years ago, right? In terms yeah. of the ballpark and the situation. And I don't think the defense will be all that bad long-term either. So he's a guy that, uh, for me, Edward Cabrera is an own in absolutely every dynasty league. Um, I said there was only uh, one more question. I was totally lying. Something else popped in my head, so I'm going to ask you real quick. Uh, Baltimore fans, I know Alex Fast is uh, really there. You, know, you feel bad for people that are in Baltimore, whatever the heck they're doing. Uh, they're, you know, they're obviously not going to. They have no motivation to bring anyone up out of spring training. Uh, maybe you see guys like Moncastle, uh, Rushman will be coming up sooner than later. Is is a quick mover through the minors, but as far as pitching goes, can you give some guys some good news when they have guys like Grayson Rodriguez and DL Hall? Um, along with their hitters, is there is there a future bright in Baltimore, or uh, or how how long do you think uh, they got to wait before they got another they got a team that can compete down there in Camden Yards? Um, you know, it it might take uh, a couple of years um, for it to come to fruition, but I really like what Mike Elias has done um, coming over from the Houston Astros. Um, I know, boo boo the name now, um, but. He's taken a lot of that analytical approach. I know this is funny to say now, like after last offseason, we were all going crazy about the Astros. And now we're like, but they had algorithms to steal signs. But it's like they did a lot of other good things, too. Un you know, unfortunately, we're going to forget about all that. But there is up in his uh, Cy Young uh, Award acceptance speech about their analytics. He got booed for it. But it's true. <laughs> they have yeah, yeah. And I mean, and, and they've taken that approach to Baltimore, which was a very non-analytical organization. For years, they had shied away from the international market. Some of it we've heard was um, a personal choice by ownership there, um, as much as we want to hate on it, but maybe, you know, it was Angelos actually showing um, <laughs> uh, some courage that, you know, he didn't appreciate the system and didn't want to get involved in it. It certainly hurt his team, unfortunately. So um, they've rectified that and they've had some international signings and actually spent some money in the recent years. Um, but there has been a massive step forward in the use of tech and wearable tech within that organization in terms of philosophy and not trying to make uh, all guys do sort of a one size fits all approach and really looking at the data and looking at players strengths and uh, playing to that. And I think you saw it just in terms of the performance of um, a lot of their arms last year uh, and guys that broke out like a, a Michael Bauman, um, you know, had an excellent year. Uh, within an organization, D.L. Hall, um, who's a guy that I, I'll tell you right now, I think a lot of people are very wrong if they're simply looking at the data with Hall. Uh, he's a guy that the organization asked him to throw his changeup more and in weird counts and really challenged him to put himself into uncomfortable situations because they knew that his stuff was good enough to just dominate guys at that level. Um, and I think it led to some bad numbers, but it was also a learning experience and a guy that he, I think came out a much better pitcher coming out of 2019. And I think we'll see that step forward in 2020, um, ignore the data a little bit with, with DL hall, because a lot of it is noise. Um, other guys, Dean Kramer, uh, really good stuff, you know, high spin on the fastball. Um, Keegan Aiken had a pretty good year. I think he's a guy that, you know, has a chance of contributing this year. Zach Lothier, um, Hunter Harvey could be a pretty good um, closer if he ever stays healthy. And they got some guys breaking camp as their closer. I don't see again because of the know. Orioles. There's no yeah, motivation to bother. Yeah, I don't know. But then there's guys like <laughs> Drew Rom who was really good. Um, Cody Sedlock had a good year. Blaine Blaine Knight I like a bit. Bruce Zimmerman's kind of a back end guy, but he's interesting. Um, and they got some other arms. Kyle Bradish um, they traded for this offseason. Um, they have some you know a few other arms that are are pretty interesting. 
And, you know, there's a couple of bats at the top of the uh, uh, this ranking um, with guys like Ellie Rushman, who's a tremendous talent and potentially a future franchise cornerstone type of catcher. And there aren't many of those. Um, I don't think we've seen one of those since like Posey was at his prime. Um, and then guys like Mountcastle who could contribute this year. I think he's a good power hitter. Um, from what I've heard out of camp, he's really improved as a first baseman. They say he actually looks like a first baseman this year. And if he gives him some versatility to be able to play uh, first or left and kind of play the matchups a little bit, I think that feeds into their, that data-driven approach. And we could we could yeah, see some around the field training, which is encouraging as far as yeah. how they view him as his ability to get him sure. at least in the lineup. Yeah. Yeah, and I think there's guys like, you know, if Austin Hayes is healthy, he's could be pretty good. Same thing with like UZL Diaz, who I think despite the surface level numbers, Eastern League was a really hard place to hit last year in comparison to the other high minors parks. They didn't have the juice balls like they did in AAA, and they don't have the great environments for hitting like doing the Texas of the Southern League. Um, that's some of them. There's some context there. There's bad, you know, hitting parks there as well. Um, but overall, it was a lot of strong pitchers. You look at the arms that were in the Eastern League last year. Um, there was a stacked stack stack league for pitchers i mean you had casey mize you had matt manning you had all the guys in that eerie rotation you had you know nate pearson um you know some guys that were were pretty good in in, Bo in boston and you know portland and um other guys in new hampshire that performed well like uh, patrick murphy um there were just a lot of arms all throughout uh that league so i think you could take it with a grain of salt you could look at his wrc plus and you could see that he actually had a pretty good year despite having some injuries and he's a guy that has some value so um, I think this is a, a, a very much improving farm system, and it's only going to improve next year with a really deep 2020 draft with a ton of arms available um, that even guys in the second round could could have been first rounders in, tw in 2019. All right, and then the last question, promise, this is the last one. We brought up Houston, kind of bringing their system. They brought up their system to Baltimore. Someone who's still stuck in Houston, um, whose value is now really split among everyone. You know probably what name is coming here is Forrest Whitley. Uh Oh, I thought you were going to say Kyle Tucker. You can say this. Oh, no. As we're going with pitching, obviously Kyle Tucker, I don't know what the deal is with him. He obviously got leapfrogged by uh, by a certain hitter that uh, just kind of took all the glory, and, uh, and no one expected uh, it to go the way it did. But, yeah, I mean, you can touch on Tucker. I was uh, – just because no, we were with pitching, course really went from, like, top of the mountain to shrugging shoulders. People – I mean, he's a guy yeah. that right now you can – if you still believe in him, you can acquire him on the cheap. Yeah. The stuff is tremendous, um, really is, uh, you know, it still is, but um, mechanically he's a mess. They've made some adjustments. Uh, he didn't look right. I know Matt Thompson watched the start the other day and I went back and I, and I rewatched the same one just to kind of get a look at it. And he did not look right uh, mechanically at all. I mean, if you just went in there blind, didn't know any of these guys, you'd probably be on Christian Javier and off for Forrest Whitley. As crazy as that is to say, um, but he just seems to have trouble sort of pitching uh, at this point. And I hope he gets it right. But there's uh, there's something fishy going on there. And I don't think anyone really knows outside of the organization of what the issue is. Because his uh, 2017 was absolutely tremendous. But it's been two years of the drug suspension, injuries, and ineffectiveness. And uh, it's tough. You got to wonder what's going on. But um, sometimes these guys rise from the ashes, too, just based on the talent. And they figure one thing out and everything clicks. So I hope that happens for him. Put that in the show notes. Forrest Whitley's uh, not having trouble pitching. <laughs> that's not good. That's not good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, yeah, Rob, thank you for joining us on the show, man. It was a blast talking to you. Uh, we know we there's so – Dynasty is such a broad topic. Prospects are such a broad topic. So we just kind of cherry-picked out a few of the guys we really want to talk about. So hopefully everyone learned something. Uh, if you want to if you want to talk about Dynasty, I know you can always reach out to me. I know Ralph always gets back to people. Um, where 
Can they uh, find you on Twitter if they don't already follow you as they already should? Uh, if you have any upcoming projects, anything going on at your website that you need everyone to know about, uh, shout them out. Tell everyone what they need to be looking for this year. Yeah, so um, you can find me, Prospect Jesus, at Prospect Jesus on Twitter. Um, also at Prospects Live, which is the site uh, handle as well. We're going to have a lot of video. In season, we have a ton of content that comes out because of all the stuff uh, as we're hitting fields. Um, and then just down the side, I'd be just, you know, be on the lookout for content on all levels of baseball, essentially. You know, we have a, a lot of college content coming out right now because games are in full swing. We can get a good look at some of these, these prospects. We're all uh, either in areas where we can go to college games or if you're like me and it's still cold and you're about three weeks away from any uh, games in the Northeast, just hammering TV screen shares, trying to dig on stuff. Um, going to have a couple more top 30s. We're still rolling out the top 30s. We kind of got uh, a little bit sidetracked with uh, the first year player draft ranks and the top 100 and all the different top on, uh, top prospect lists that we put out. We have an OD, OBP. We have a, a 2020 value um, prospect list. We have the real life list. And then we're going to have a top 900 essentially once all the top 30s are done and all the grades are put away. But uh, go on there, take a look at our top 30 list. We upgraded them this year in terms of the look and feel as we've added some folks onto the team like Chip Bourne, um, formerly of what used to be Baseball Forum, which is now uh, part of Prospects Live. And uh, all the guys that have joined, we're doing, like I said, a lot of draft content. We have prep content as well. Uh, a lot of videos up on our YouTube page. We have over 2,000 videos. We have over um, 300 videos of 2020 uh, MLB draft prospects. There's a lot of minor league stuff as well. Um, we'll be hammering fantasy uh, content. We have a fan obviously the, the Dynasty uh, podcast that comes out every Monday. Uh, or in the off season every other Monday with Eddie and myself. Um, and really, like I said, like, you know, from dynasty to the draft to in season live looks, um, scouting reports, top 30 lists, um, we're covering it all. And we're going to try to up the, uh, the coverage on our own uh, P live sort of uh, best ball league. So yeah, check all that out. Prospectslive.com. Is that it? That's all you, that's all you cover there. I know we got some, <laughs> it's like, yeah, I mean, you know, and I want to cover even more. So summer you guys, league. You, guys, like, you mentioned a few like Tom, Matt Thompson, and you have a crazy good team over there too. So I mean, the, the literally everybody sign up, go there, uh, read all the information you can. Uh, it's such a fantastic site with all the information you need. Uh, if uh, if free. anyone, yeah, and it's free. Uh, if uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, if you want to yell at me of any crazy takes I made during the show, don't know if I did or not, uh, you can follow me at Matt Williams, M-A-T-T-W-I-7-7-I-M-S, or follow the show at Turn2Podcast. Uh, thank you for listening to the show. Uh, go out and join your Dynasty League, everybody. Uh, you know, tag us. Tell us uh, tell us how you did. Um, so, yeah, for, for the Turn2 Podcast, I am Matt Williams. Enjoy your weekend, everybody. Spring training is here. Enjoy all the games. My, oh, my. Coach, I'm ready to play fantasy. I know I turn two in a day, but the lace isn't hot in my veins. I can turn two in every way, so I turn to you two today and smash play. I'm prepared to listen. The X flipping whip got me looking way past the pitches. Statistics all that I know, and I know that who is on first, he can say I'm ready to go. <laughs> I ain't trying to steal second or third. Cause I wanna win first How am I to put all of these numbers to words? I know the terms from A to Z It's like a gift and a curse I know the difference between a splitter and a curve But if I can't put it into points Man, then what's it worth? I need the truth I need knowledge Found this podcast with all of it But what they call it? Turn two Turn two, Turn two. What it do? Win leaps Catch out Catch out